Being from the South, I know a thing or two about how bugs can ruin a great outdoor experience. It's crazy how something so small can affect some of the potentially greatest experiences of your life. And that's why today's show is brought to you in part by Sawyer. You might know them as the water filter company. I actually have a couple Sawyer filters, but they make a lot of other great products too, including their insect repellent. And uh, j just some points about what it is. It's great for the whole family. It's actually safe to use on infants and those who are pregnant because they don't use DEET, the active ingredient. They use something better called picaridin. It actually lasts longer. It lasts up to 12 hours. Pretty incredible. And it doesn't damage any of your gear. So it's insect repellent specifically made for families who are also outdoorsy because it won't ruin any of that high dollar gear that you've bought to be out there. And it does a fantastic job of protecting you and your family from those vector-borne illnesses that are carried by insects. I know for me, I'm always carrying some insect repellent because I've had mosquitoes specifically ruin some pretty incredible backpacking experiences. Don't let it happen to you. Use Sawyer's 20% Picaridin insect repellents. Find out more about that at sawyer.com. Play safe, travel safely, Sawyer. They keep you outdoors. Instead of doing bigger, longer, more dramatic swims, I ended up swimming through the winter. I completely fell in love with cold water swimming and the total visceral thrill of continuing to get in the water as the temperature drops and drops and drops and drops. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we hear stories of adventure from every corner of the planet. We interview all sorts of folks who are using their sport to explore the world around them and give you the inspiration you need to get out there and have some fun. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Uh, but today, as you know, Thursdays are Throwback Thursday episodes. And so today's Throwback Thursday is going to be with Alexandra Hemmonsley. And she's going to be talking about overcoming the fear of the ocean. And she's going to be talking with Kurt, one of the previous hosts, um, and how to how to overcome the fear of the ocean to become an open water swimmer. Uh, I don't know about you, but one of my greatest fears of all time is just being dropped in the ocean, falling out of a boat or, um, you know, my kayak sinking for some reason. I, I love to kayak. I love to be out on the water, but I'm, I'm scared to death of just being out there by myself with, on, without a vessel or something. So I have never heard this episode, so I'm going to be listening to it for the first time with you, um, and I'm super excited. I've listened to some of it. Alexandra sounds just very, you know, approachable, very kind. Uh, sounds like it's going to be a great story, so I hope you enjoy. And uh, yeah, thanks again for tuning in. I hope it inspires you. I don't know where you are in life or if you're out on an adventure right now or just at your desk dreaming about one or working from home dreaming about an adventure. I, I hope this show helps you and uh, getting a little bit closer to that goal or just helps you feel better with whatever you're going through. So thanks again for listening. And uh, yeah, if you ever have some feedback for the show, please reach out info at adventuresportspodcast.com. All right. Thank you. Hello, friends. Thank you again for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Today, we have a wonderful lady from the United Kingdom here, Alexandra Hemmonsley, who is going to be sharing with us how she spent her 20s being non-sporty. She said that she discovered running, and that was her gateway drug into adventure sports. She's written two books on her favorite sports, her most recent being on swimming and overcoming huge challenges to learn how to uh, do the swimming events that she does. She grew up in the UK. She was in London for about 10 years and more recently moved to Brighton, where she has found her love living near the coast. And I am excited, Alex, to visit with you today about running and swimming and learning how to do these things a little bit later in life. Yes, yeah, definitely. I was the person that did nothing. And um, I thought that being sporty was... It was like a gene or something that you were given at birth. I didn't really understand for a really long time that 
being sporty or just really only necessitated doing some sport. <laughs> <laughs> Good the point. penny has finally dropped. <laughs> right. Well, you know, with the Olympics going on, I've mentioned this in a, a recent show as well, we see the giants of the sports. Yeah. And I think it can be intimidating. You know, we think, oh, that, I'm not that, I can't do that, you know. But no, we can do what we can do, right, in our own way. And yeah, that's what exactly. makes us sporty. We don't have to be a, a world champion necessarily. No, and also I think a lot of places that sell sports wear and sports um, kit and equipment, they tend to use the elites or the people that look as if they're extremely comfortable playing sport already. And so that if if you're if you haven't grown up with a family that was doing things and um, you know been in relationships when you you know, had a sporty boyfriend that was patient with you, so setting you up on a bicycle or whatever, it's it can be really intimidating because you're going into a shop that you know co- covered all the outside of those big brands is people who already look as if they've got all of the gleaming benefits of sport from them, and it it can feel like a world that's perfectly happily going on without you and you're not invited but you are <laughs> I get it I get it absolutely so you've written two books on the subject and these are books that help people through through humor and sharing your own story they help people to realize that this is an inclusive thing everybody can do this yes exactly and that what you get out of it doesn't have to be your salary or gold medals or global acclaim it can be as much as, you know, half an hour headspace to yourself going around the park three times a week, that will enrich your life enormously. Mm. It doesn't mean that it's not worth doing because you won't win a marathon and, you know, feel the tape cross your chest first when you cross the finish line before everyone else. It's still worth, it's still worthwhile and enriching and, and sort of a little magic bit of space in otherwise busy lives. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now that we know what we're going to be talking about today, let's rewind a little bit and talk about Alex. Give us your backstory, (laughs) a little bit about how you grew up and how you transitioned into being a sporty person. Yes. Well, um, my dad was in the military and um, I was the oldest. I, I, I have a brother and a sister, so there was three of us. And um, we were all running around all the time, causing chaos. Um, and we weren't a family that sort of did sporty stuff. In It wasn't like we were, were sort of team players. It wasn't one of those families whose weekends were arranged around sports matches the way that some people are. But my dad was a really big runner when we were little. And I just sort of thought, you know, we were kids. We were wearing shorts and T-shirts. And my dad was wearing shorts and T-shirts a lot of the time. And I didn't – I was quite young. And I don't think I realized that he was doing a lot of running. And then – then I grew up, I left home, and my dad's quite a taciturn man. He's quite a kind of, you would, he, if you were to imagine an English man in the army, you would, you would not be far wrong if you just went for a stereotype with my dad. Uh, whereas my mum grew up in the West Indies, she's very Latin, she's very chatty, um, and so were me and my sister. And so I grew up, I moved to London, I was working in publishing, I, you know, all of this time passed and then um my sister got married and she's younger than me and I was a bit glum and this was like 10 years ago and I went to go and stay at, with my folks in the countryside and my brother was saying he had got a place he wanted to do the London Marathon and I said oh I'd I'd love to be able to run and I can remember it like it was yesterday my dad was getting a cup from a kitchen cupboard so his head was sort of slightly in the cupboard and his voice came back quite magnified and he said oh it's not that you can't run it's that you don't Mm. and suddenly I felt like you know a whole and someone had opened a door and there was a whole room in the house that I'd never noticed before or something and I realized he was right so I got a place and I did the London Marathon and I and I really found myself in running it was uh, a sort of a bit of a lonely time for me and um, it taught me so much about self-esteem and grit and positivity and self-reliance and community because obviously so many marathons are to do with fundraising and 
um, it really was one of the most important relationships, I suppose, of my life. And it also taught me a lot more about my dad, who I realized had been, while well, he had three young children, been, he'd run 15 marathons. Wow. With, with sort of barely mentioning it. Um, it was just his little escape in a busy life. And then I carried on running. In the end, I did five marathons and I wrote about them in Running Like a Girl, which I wrote particularly because um, at that point, and it has changed now a lot, this, I wrote Running Like a Girl in 2012 and it was published at the in sort of middle of 2013. But at that point, um, it was a bit of a boys club running. It was um, the way that women were sold running was to a weight loss it was Mm. to get a bikini body and if you wanted to buy a book about running they were very a hardcore narrative endurance stories it was you know kind of day five in the desert and my feet were worn away to stumps (laughs) right and and if you just kind of want to get around the park and 5k feels like a really big deal to you it's just like you would just think well what's the point I'm not going to the desert getting to get get through the school run at this point is exhausting to me so obviously this is not a book for me but obviously it was also quite uncomfortable for a lot of women for this feeling that running should be to achieve something else that it wasn't of worth or joyful in itself Um, which is absolutely true but this idea that it was some sort of penance you had to do to look better for everyone else's sake or to weigh a bit less or to fit into the running clothes that were available to you and so I wanted to write a book that was about somebody who was was not the woman that looked like she would be photographed on the outside of a sports store that was you know did wobble and jiggle when she ran and didn't understand what half the things in the goodie bag after a marathon were for and um (laughs) and it turned out I wasn't the only woman like that and it's sold in um 15 different countries now and it's just you know I still hear from people every day who have kind of realized it's not just them that thought that that was that running wasn't that they weren't invited into the world of running oh yeah and so the the book you're talking about there is running like a girl correct yes um so yeah, it, it really it did. It, it, running changed my life, and running like a girl changed my life. And um, so consequently, I was very confident that that you know, just all you need is a can-do attitude and a little bit of cardiovascular strength, and you'll be fine. So then I'd done all this marathon training at home in Brighton, going up and down the seafront. There's a lovely flat um, seafront for miles in Brighton so you can really um run and see the horizon for the whole time and it's it's absolutely mesmerizing but I'd never gone in the sea and then I did on the morning of my wedding and it was absolutely beautiful it was like a once in a lifetime beautiful when the sea is all sort of milky and opaque it's so still and then I I sort of thought, oh, brilliant, I'm just going to get into swimming now. <laughs> and then got back in, I decided, to, I thought, oh, maybe, I, I'm sure I could swim when I was little on holiday. I'll do like a one-day taste course, it'll be fine. And I got in, and the sea was very different the second time, and it was really choppy, and I had a massive panic attack. I just felt completely out of control. Then the next time I went in, we just got back from honeymoon and my husband's wedding ring just washed off and went away, never to be seen again. Uh. And then our house flooded and I just thought, this is it. I have to kind of conquer the sea now. Like I was becoming more and more afraid. (laughs) So I went right back to the beginning and I realized I couldn't swim front crawl at all. I confidently thought that I could. I had this vague memory of swimming on some holiday, but you never really swim properly. You're just cooling down on holiday. (laughs) Right. So I learned to swim from scratch with the goal that I wanted to swim um, to Ithaca. I wanted to be my own Odysseus and reach the island of Ithaca in Greece. So how far is that? Um, It was a 5k swim, which isn't it isn't the longest. I think it's sort of the equivalent of doing maybe a half marathon. It's like about three. It was a two, two to three hours, depending on conditions. So a 5K swim. So that's 3.2 miles. Um, yes. And that got you from where to Ithaca? 
Um, it was a boat quite close to Kefalonia um, to Ithaca, but it was sort of swim making my way to Ithaca because I, I studied classics when I was at university and I was obsessed by the Odyssey and Odysseus and his, you know, the whole of the Odyssey is his journey trying to get back to his home island of Ithaca. And I mm. had it in my head that I wanted to be my, be a hero too. And the most heroic thing you could do is to be like a Greek hero and swim to Ithaca. <laughs> That's great. So was it part of an event or did you just set up your own goal? I'm going to do this. And then you it did was, it. Um, it was like a swimming holiday that had a series of swims in the Greek islands that culminated in this one. So I, I had never, there's something very satisfying about swimming between two islands, even if it is only an hour long swim there's a sense of accomplishment. Um, but then obviously there's more to see if you're swimming around an island because you're in shallower water and in Greece there's all sorts of beautiful fish and starfish and rocks and things to see. So the trip was a combination, like a variety of different um, swims between islands and round islands and the, the culmination of the week was the Ithaca swim, the heroic swim. <laughs> Well, that's beautiful. I think it's fun when you have something that it kind of becomes a goal, something you've dreamed about, and maybe you relate it to, like you did, the the, the Odyssey, right? And, yeah. And that, that becomes bigger than life almost, and it pulls you along, and, and then eventually you accomplish that. It's got to be so exciting. Yeah. I mean, the biggest one for British people is um, swimming the, the Channel, going from Dover to Calais, which is really interesting at the moment politically um, because loads of it's this sort of iconic swim of the sort of archetypal sturdy Victorian kind of doing valiant breaststroke in their top hat. And, um, but the French literally never, they don't care. There's the same swim, same distance. No French people are struggling and dreaming of swimming to the UK. <laughs> they just don't do it. And it was re when I realized that, I was like, everyone's big goal is so personal to, to what, their, what their goals in life are and what their experiences so far have been. It's just the minute you say to someone, oh, I'm having swimming lessons at the moment, they'll say, if you're in England, Oh, you're gonna. I suppose you're gonna swim the channel then. And <laughs> if you're in France, they go great. Enjoy your swimming lessons. <laughs> there you go. Well, why do you think that is? I just I think that the the UK is like an island nation. We're separated from the rest of Europe physically. So the idea of being able to get there to the mainland, as it were, under your own steam, is a huge sense of achievement. But to the French, it's like, well, the, what are we doing? <laughs> Why would you go that way? There's right. the whole of Europe over here. It's brilliant. Why would you want to go to the little bit that's sort of dangling off the end of the, the continent? Well, there's been that uh, friendly and not so friendly rivalry between Britain and France for hundreds and hundreds of years. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And I just and it's it's a bit it's a bit embarrassing, you know. We've uh, Brexit is mortifying, and people are still going. Oh, I'm going to swim to France. It's like, what are you doing? Well, you're not going to be able to get a train there soon. Oh, <laughs> you boy. better learn to swim. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that some people say, don't you know that there's a tunnel now? You yeah, <laughs> guys. <laughs> But yeah, that when I was researching the book and I realized that the French just weren't swimming back, I realized I looked at my Ithaca swim again and I saw how everyone's goal is so personal to where they are. And that's why sometimes all the sort of clock watching and um, entering of events that we do can be counterproductive to the actual enjoyment of using our bodies. Um, so, yes, it was interesting a moment of clarity about the perception of goals <laughs> mm, yeah you know you mentioned that when you started running it gave you a sense mm. of self-esteem and self-reliance and, and used several other adjectives there that were beautiful about how it impacted mm. you as a person away from running will you explain that for us a little bit how is it that starting being active doing something as simple as running did all of that for you mm. Well, on the absolutely most basic level, there's it's it just is sort of um, it opens your mind to the possibilities that you have for yourself when you've perceived yourself to not be able to do something and then you try it 
and you can at whatever level. I thought I was not sporty and I was not a runner. And the fact that it took me a couple of months to be able to comfortably run 5K, just it was extraordinary to me because I realized that a lot of the barriers that I had had about myself and then the process of writing the book taught me that it was the barriers that we so many of us have about ourselves are not actually there. They're entirely self-perceived. Obviously, you know, some people have, you know, problems with their ankles or gait or cardiovascular issues. But on the whole, the people that aren't running aren't those ones. They're the ones that are saying, I can't because I can't, or I can't because I wouldn't be very good at it. It doesn't matter if you're not very good at it. It matters if you enjoy it. It matters if it enriches your life. And that was the most basic realization was this understanding that those barriers were self-perceived absolutely self-perceived and then there's something really intoxicating about following a marathon training program um because it's it, it is quite sort of systematic it's quite you know you do you do your long runs to improve your distance and you do some interval training to improve your cardiovascular and you do some other ba- more basic runs to get used to time on your feet and keep your fitness up and um and it, you do for months on end, every week, you're just a little bit better than you were the week before. And life is not generally that um, sort of that much of a straight line. Right. <laughs> you, you know, it's so random and we, you, you come across so many sort of unexpected bumps in the road, as it were. But with marathon training, obviously, you have a week where you've got terrible flu or whatever. But... That process, when you take it sensibly over six months, is so rewarding to real to feel your your sort of sense of self slowly improve and change. And it taught me a lot about my physical self esteem that um, my legs could take me places. I could I I learned I, you know it was when I just moved to Brighton that I started really really run, running. I learned all about my city. You know what it's like when you you've got a run and you've got to do fourteen k and you realise you've done thirteen point two. So then you just have to loop round a couple of streets that you would never normally walk down. Um, they're totally out of your way for anything practical, and then you just run down them and realise there's a really beautiful building at the end of one of them or something like that. And I learned about my city. I learned. Um, about my body just about you know when you when you exercise more you do almost instinctively eat better so that changed and my relationship with clothes if I if I couldn't fit into skinny jeans before I felt bad about myself and then I started to think well actually I've I've got kind of muscly legs now I don't want to fit into skinny jeans and you'd hold them up in the shop and think where would I ever get with legs that could fit in those and (laughs) so it was it was a sort of self um self-realization and also sort of self-acceptance that was extremely rewarding Mm, i love it that's a beautiful story i love what it (laughs) did for you and it it, it's like it gave you a new direction in life and a new yeah uh, a new avenue to enjoy it's really important to say at this point that all of this running i was doing and all of this in a healthy eating and stuff I still do not and never have run fast marathons. And this is not the story of how I became someone who's knocking out a three hour 20 marathon and going home and, you know, just having a light rice cake or something. <laughs> I, um, I am profoundly average at running and, you know, I, it's, it's not that I got really, really good at it. It's that it, it made me really, really happy. This is the best time to move to the mountain town of your dreams. COVID-19 has changed the way the world works and probably the way you work. I know that I work more remotely now, now that all this has happened. So why not live somewhere that you want to in a mountain paradise that you've always dreamed of? Well, the Gunnison Valley in Colorado is that perfect place. It's nestled right between a bunch of mountains, all sorts of things to do. There's over 750 miles of biking and hiking single track. Crested Butte right there in the valley has world-class skiing, and the whole county has an award-winning school system. So imagine waking up in your ultimate destination every single morning, no traffic, no crowded trails, no more wishing you lived in the mountains uh, like I do. (laughs) Work where you play in the Gunnison Valley. They'll be able to help you make that mountain dream come true at icelab.co. That's ice, 
lab.co and consider the Gunnison Valley your new home. You know, what's funny about it is you're kind of saying that you're not doing it to win, but you're winning in a bigger way anyway. Exactly. It's exactly that. And I, and it takes quite a long time to go to a running club or take part in a half marathon and not mind that you're for a long time I was quite caught up in the sort of oh if I did this much training I could maybe get myself down to you know under two hour half marathon or something and then I realized that actually the thing that I enjoyed about going on these runs wasn't just looking at my watch and seeing if I could you know it's a lot of hours that you spend to shave you know 15 minutes off a time or something I, I really enjoyed looking around and seeing the sky and feeling my heartbeat raise and not having to look at a watch and do the sort of giant maths project that sometimes long distance running can, you know, you end up dividing things by um, dividing amounts by amounts for so long that you sort of sometimes, you know, the numbers are all spinning in your head when you start to get tired. <laughs> it sounds like a bad dream. Yeah, sometimes it felt like a bad dream. When you you know you've got to readjust your minutes per app, per mile and all of that kind of thing. It's so hard. For me it's hard. I don't do terribly well with mental arithmetic on the on the hoof like that. So yeah, it was that that kind of challenge it held no appeal to me. Well, that's neat. And so people can learn more about that with running like a girl. In this yes. book, you tell your story of discovering to to run, right? Now, tell us a little bit, is this a how-to guide for other people to learn how to run, or is it more of a memoir about your experiences? It's um, a little bit of both. It's mostly memoir, because I felt like the most effective way to persuade people to run was not to write a book going, you should go for a run, you should run, enjoy running. (laughs) I thought, actually, I I don't need to persuade people who don't want to go for a run. What I need to do is to show the people who are like me that felt like they wanted to go for a run but probably couldn't, that it was doable, and that the most effective way to do that was to tell my story. At the back, I would say probably the last quarter has got the sort of everything you wanted to ask but were too afraid to section. (laughs) And it's got things like what to put in your kit bag that no one will tell you when you're doing your first event or... um, everything you want to know about injury that you worry about in the middle of the night kind of section. Mm, okay. So it's, okay. it's mostly memoir. Well, let's talk about the second book. I'm excited about this swimming thing. Um, I, <laughs> I love the running as well, but the idea of swimming in the Mediterranean to islands, Greek islands, that's, that sounds so exciting to me. The book is called Leap In, A Woman, yes. Some Waves, and the Will to Swim, right? That's a subtitle. Yes. And Mm -hmm. uh, this is your more recent book. It's been in hardback here, available in the United States for, oh boy, it sounds like about nine months or so, but the paperback is coming out very soon. So we should tell people what this is. So what about Leap In? Well, Leap In is sort of the continuation of the story. After I'd written Running Like a Girl, I was writing what turned out to be a terrible book, which is now in the bin, file deleted. It was about boxing and ballet and gender in sport. And I was taking kickboxing lessons and I was doing ballet lessons at the Royal Academy of Ballet in London. And while I was doing this, I was taking swimming lessons because um, it was really just like a hobby thing. I had done a lot of running up and down in Brighton along the seafront, looking at the sea and never got into the sea until the morning of my wedding. I had this big build up of rage with the sea with it flooding my house and stealing my husband's wedding ring so I thought I'm going to just learn from scratch um and I I they I took this fantastic course that's down here in Brighton called um pool to pier because we have two beautiful piers in um Brighton and so the idea was that you learn to swim in the pool during the winter with a view to be able to swim out to the pier in the summer and so um, it started off, taught me front crawl from scratch, and then by the summer was in the sea, reunited with my nemesis. <laughs> um, and what happened was I took the course and I loved the course and I really learned that not only did I love swimming, but I loved the sea. I loved, it was like the next, mo- it, it, 
ramped up next stage of enjoying nature and the elements that running had given me the sea was just this huge big next step and um then what happened was I did this swim to Ithaca and I had other dramatic swims planned and at that point I was still thinking that the only sort of endeavors worth doing were the big heroic long dramatic sounding ones and then I um, uh, needed to have a lot of IVF treatment fertility treatment and um and it made me feel terrible and I couldn't really mm. run during it and I had problems getting pregnant and I had a miscarriage and it was a really really emotionally challenging time for me and for the previous five or six years when I was having any kind of emotional difficulties or stresses or whatever I had had running to fall back on but my body was quite weakened by this and um uh, just I didn't feel very comfortable all the sort of processes of IVF meant that running was not at all comfortable for me and what happened was that instead of doing bigger longer more dramatic swims I ended up swimming through the winter um, and it became I completely fell in love with cold water swimming and the total visceral thrill of continuing to get in the water as the temperature drops and drops and drops and drops. Wow. And again, as with that marathon journey, it was this process of every day just being demanding a tiny bit more of yourself than the day before and it being okay. You know, it's obviously it would feel horrendous and would be very bad for you, especially bad for your heart. Don't ever do it. If you'd never got in the sea before and you got into a freezing cold sea in January. But it's that thing of... I didn't I didn't at any point go, oh, this is a nightmare. I'm going to take up cold water swimming to help me get over it. I just didn't stop. And every it got it got to the you know, the clocks changed in October and I carried on and I can remember um I swam around the pier on Halloween in the dark with a group of friends and I could see kids on the pier and they, they thought that they were like monsters in the sea and it was us <laughs> in a wetsuit. And then I stopped swimming with my wetsuit and I carried on and I carried on and then it got to sort of Christmas and I said, well, maybe I'll stop on Christmas Day and then it got to New Year and maybe I'll stop on New Year's Day. And I just carried on and on this sort of feeling of, no, I can take it. I can still take it. I've got a little bit more grit in me. No, nope, there's still a little bit more. I'm still good. And then before I knew it, spring was coming back round and it was, it was really like a thread that kept me going was this, I mean, this isn't going to be the week I'm going to give up. I've got this tiny little bit more. And it was um, something that em emotionally, psychologically absolutely kept me going in what then felt like my absolute darkest hour. Now, I want to make sure that the listeners got a hold of that. You're talking about this swimming through the wintertime without even a wetsuit. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't just about exercise. It was about nature and endurance and exploring parts of myself that maybe I didn't know about before, but also exploring nature, the sea. Like I, it was that you, you don't ever really truly know what's swimming underneath you in the sea. Right. Just the same as you don't ever really know what's coming next in life. You can't know, but you can't not ever do anything fun. You've got to do both. Mm. And that's what taught me. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's it's a beautiful story. And the <laughs> the whole idea of, well, I didn't set out to swim around the year, but I just kept going. And next thing you know, I've yeah. done it. The, the Finding out what you're made of. Yeah, it was. It really, really was. And now it's something almost, you know, these days you say you've run a marathon and people practically shrug. Everyone runs all the time. But if you say, oh, no, I swim through the year, people really are surprised. They think it's some sort of sort of self-flagellation. It's like, no, 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 I love it. I, I couldn't be without it now. And then I did get pregnant and I have a baby now who's 10 months old. And this time last year, I was quite heavily pregnant and was still swimming. I swam until two weeks before he was born. And that was only because the weather was bad that I stopped. And um, it again, it was a real source of solace during, you know, quite a difficult pregnancy. And it was never... It never felt like a kind of macho thing to do, but be but the immersion in the sea and the immersion in cold water is it's such a um sense of freedom and 
sort of self uh, self pride almost that you sure. can you can still go out there and do it. It's exhilarating, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and also especially with salt water, it's the swimming is a very kind form of exercise. I've swum all over now, and you really see people, especially in cold water, you see um, scars and illness and people who get in looking really, you know, hunched over, uncomfortable with themselves. And you can never tell who's going to be the one, but then you see these people and they hit the water and they have the most beautiful, confident, calm, streamlined swimming stroke. And you just think this is, this is where you're free. This is where you're, um, you're where, where you're you. And all these people who are otherwise finding getting around difficult or don't feel their best selves out of the water, then we'll get in the water and transform. It's such a beautiful thing to see. Mm. Um, and it really it taught me a lot about how kind exercise can be when you're having a, a tough time as well. Wow, that's that's beautiful. I think so many people want to give up when life gets hard. Or they think, oh, I can't do it now because of X, Y, or, you know, Z. But what you're saying is that the water welcomes people, supports them, and allows them to continue on. Yeah. Uh, even when they have some, some hardship, they're difficult to deal with. Definitely. And I think a lot of people don't swim. I think it's especially something that happens with women now because of this idea of, you know, being judged in a swimming costume or getting to the water. And... um the, the most important thing I would want people to know about swimming is that if you can, it does fit, I really know, I know what they mean. It's awful when you're not used to it and you're kind of walking in your in your bare feet and you can feel your thighs sort of juddering behind you and it can feel like a marathon in itself, getting to the water's edge, whether it's a pool or the sea or wherever. But the time that you spend in the water is so wonderful and so good and happy making and exhilarating compared to the potential grimness of that walk. And the time that you spend is so much longer than that walk is that if you can just do the walk of doom a handful of times, you'll realize how massively the equation is tipped in your favor. In a matter of seconds to get into the water for even just 20 minutes or half an hour in the water is still hugely in your favor in terms of time spent and people will be people put off these things for the fear of the bit that comes first but once you've done it a handful of times you realize you don't even notice you're too busy thinking about the swim or the water or what's the tide doing or how many lengths can I fit in while I've got childcare this lunchtime or whatever and suddenly this world is opened up to you and also a world of self not love is closed down to you because it ceases to be important if the if something you love is just within reach, then the bit that's difficult seems so much more bearable. Mm. You know, you were talking about the the little something that you overcome to do the big something that you love. And yeah, I'm sure exactly. that you had that experience with running as well. It, it's a matter of yeah. getting yourself up and, and putting on the gear and, and making yourself to take the first two or three steps. Oh, definitely. With every adventure sport or every activity that's worth doing, mm. there are obstacles, things that we have to overcome, right? So that we can get out and do what we love to do. And that's what our show is all about, the Adventure Sports Podcast. It's about saying, hey, just try it. Overcome those obstacles, you know, just go out and do something and see how rewarding it can be. What The way you're talking about swimming is uh, amazing to me. It's like you have found an amazing passion in your life. Yeah, it's, and the reason that these things like adventure sports or swimming or anything feels exhilarating is because there is an element of risk that you've chosen to overcome. You know, obviously, it's a bigger risk if you jump off the end of a pier and having never swum before. That's a ridiculous risk. Um, but I recently interviewed a really amazing um, author called Neil Ansell. 
I don't know if you will have heard of him. He's he's he he wrote a book that was published about five years ago in the UK about how he went and lived in complete isolation for five years wow. in a cottage in the middle of the countryside in Wales, and he had no electricity, no water, nothing. And this, the book that I was speaking to him about was about, he went on five trips over the course of a year while his health was failing to the West Highlands of Scotland. And I was asking him about risk because, I mean, he does, he takes really big risks. He fell down like a ravine head first and um, his his hearing was failing. So he was much less aware of his surroundings, but he was still wanted to hear several of the, you know, his favorite bird calls for the last time. And I asked him, I said, you know, you know, it's a pretty risky business going on here. What did your family think? And and he put it really beautifully that it's it's the risk that is it's it's the assessment of the risk that reminds you that you're alive, that mm. you have something worth protecting and living to its best. If you don't ever think about risk, you don't think about what it is you want to preserve and keep and do well. So it's not just like the the kind of high of jumping off a bridge that is, you know, people think, oh, you just love risky sports because they're risky. Was well, not that bit of the risk. It's the thinking about, no, I love my life. I, I want to go, come home to my family. But considering risk forces you to be mindful of. And it was, I'd never thought of it that way before. And it was a really... It was a really kind of beautiful way of, he could have, by the end of the interview, I was ready to do anything. I was like, oh my God, you've convinced me, I'll do whatever it is, I'm just going to consider risk. But I didn't. I went home and fed my baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Some people would say that swimming in the sea in the wintertime is pretty risky. You're doing that? Yeah, but that's the thing. I do do it, but I do it safely and I check the tides and I make sure there's no you know bad currents and I I knew a few times I've got to the edge of the water and even when the forecast wasn't that bad I thought no it's not worth the risk and then mm. you go home and you think well I got to the water's edge and I made a choice and I choose to to preserve me and preserve a mother for my son and all the rest of it and that that is I think that that is a really intrinsic part of doing adventurous things is making a decision every time to what your life is worth and and it's worth a lot so you want to fill it with good things but also make an assessment every time of what you don't want to do oh yeah absolutely. i think you don't you don't always think about the times that you think absolutely not to something because then you do something else but yeah it, it is it's very valuable in reminding you of yourself what what value you hold <laughs> you know you mentioned that at the end of running like a girl you had a section on you know all the the answers to the questions that people don't even know that they need to ask or maybe they're afraid to ask let's do the same thing yeah. for swimming a little bit so what are the risks that you encounter when you're going out cold water swimming let's just go there um well it's it what it does is it constricts the blood vessels quite quickly that's what is good in some ways that's why you see pictures of olympians standing in their bath full of ice cubes is it that promotes recovery mm. um but they generally just put their legs in <laughs> obviously when you're in water your vital organs are, are in the water too so it can it can put pressure on the heart i mean there are obviously um sort of common sense things to be considered like don't go into a river where there's an obvious tree trunk that you could impale yourself on and keep an eye on tides and make sure that you're not going for a swim somewhere that you're not going to be able to get back out of and that sort of stuff. But the primary thing with cold water swimming is um, it's the effect on your heart that the cold water has. And then also with um, – because obviously the equation is simple. You're either going to warm the water up or the water's going to cool you down and you are a lot smaller than the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Not much of a chance there. In the bath, you you stand a chance, but in the sea, you don't. And also, if you if you are suffering from hypothermia, unfairly, I think, one of the first symptoms is that you feel incredibly warm. It's sort of your body kind of shutting down as you go, oh, actually, I'm starting to feel okay. So you have to build up an awareness of how much time you can spend in the water. You should never go in in November 
and try and swim for an hour and see if you can do it. You should try and swim for eight minutes and see if you can do it. And then the next time, try and do 10 minutes and build up because it just, it is really, really different. But that's what's good about it is that it's understood that um, the reason it is good for our immune systems is that it takes it gives them a mild stressor is the term that they use. It, it gives your immune system a mild stressor frequently. So it's effectively keeping your immune system on its toes. It's reminding it to keep working mm. um, rather than, you know, just lying on the sofa. Your immune system just kind of goes to sleep. You can see why um, it isn't. It's not busy. Whereas if you just give it a nudge a few times a week, it kind of it's, it's mindful to do more for you. Um, and there's increasing research being, there's a lot being done at the moment. And there's, um, some research that cold water, whether it's in the sea or, um, bathing, I think there's German research of people just literally sitting in cold baths and the mental health benefits are, um, very, they're great. They're, um, it's the invigorating thing, but also they're starting to study more about, um, with swimming, because you have to have regulated breathing when you're swimming Mm -hmm. it it, it calms you down I always say that running running calms me down and swimming requires that I'm calm to be able to do it right um you can't swim stressed because your body's natural instinct to go (gasps) when you're anxious it, it you're filled up with a kind of bag basically of carbon dioxide which means that you're um dragging air along with you which slows you down which means you won't be able to do it so in order to get anywhere with swimming especially with cold water swimming you have to become incredibly good at giving really big deep exhales learning to swim is basically learning to breathe really well and that in turn has huge mental health benefits and you know even even an Apple watch is always telling you to breathe better <laughs> and swimming is the ultimate version of that. Mm, so you mentioned uh, two benefits for swimming, cold water swimming even. One was stimulating your immune system to, to stay awake and keep working. The other was the mental health benefits. What other yeah. benefits do you, you think that people get from swimming in general, warm or cold? Just how is swimming good for you? Um. Well, it's it's very kind on your joints. It's brilliant if you're training for something else, uh, or you're you know doing mountain climbing or cycling or whatever. Something that's putting a you know pressure and tension on your muscles. Swimming is great for you're so supported when you're swimming, so it enables you to exercise without um, putting pressure on your body in other ways. Right. Um, it, the cold water is also brilliant for your. Um, for your muscles, for muscular recovery. That's why you see the athletes doing it. I found personally that swimming helps so much with the cardiovascular. It's probably the controlled breathing, Yeah, you know, but it, well, you can't, you can't lose control of your breathing because otherwise you just have to stop at the moment. I'm trying at the moment I breathe every third breath and I'm trying to build up so I can breathe every fifth breath, which is massively increased lung capacity, but you get, you feel like you're doing so much more swimming because there's kind of a lot of admin to keep breathing while you're in the water, especially if it's turbulent water. And you, you, you get so much more of the sensation of swimming if you're breathing less, but obviously you do get quite tired. So it's a bit of a challenge there. Do you think that holding your breath between strokes um, can harm you in any way? Holding your breath, definitely. You need to be exhaling while you're swimming. Um, Because if you hold your breath, then you'll need to have your head out of the water for much longer because you have to let out a huge exhale and an inhale in that small second worth of time. And also, if you're holding your breath while swimming, you're holding the carbon dioxide. The waste is a waste product, effectively. You're holding it in your body and in your muscles. So you want to be getting it out as soon as possible, ready to just snatch in some oxygen as quickly as you can when you raise your head. Well, here's an interesting question for you. With your book, Leap Mm -hmm. In, what do you think people will get from the book besides swimming? What are the lessons that they'll learn about life from your accounts of swimming? 
I think that they will learn that the unexpected is a given in this life, just as you can never truly know if a wave is going to smack you in the face or that there's a scary big pike swimming underneath you. You can never truly know what's coming next. But that most importantly, it doesn't mean you shouldn't do anything. You should keep doing the things you love and do them mindfully and to the best that you can. You shouldn't just do nothing. Mm, You should leap in. (laughs) I love it. So share a couple of experiences with us, if you would, about surprising things that happened to you on your swims. You mentioned... You know, a, a scary fish that could that could come up underneath you, yeah. that kind of thing. Have you seen these sorts of things? What's happened? I did once in the, I was swimming in the Lake District and I was swimming in a beautiful lake. And just at that point when I was sort of far enough from the edge that I knew I couldn't kind of back out, I was properly in the deep water. I did see a big a pike, a real ugly creepy almost sort of primeval dinosaur looking fish swim underneath me and I don't know if you swim with goggles but they can kind of sometimes distort distance especially in the water and I had no I was doing my arm stroke and as I brought my arm down into the water in front of me I had no idea how far if it was a fish that was three meters beneath me and there was no way I was going to touch it or whether I was going to disturb it and that's the thing about swimming is that the only thing that would have definitely meant that I would have created a whole load of ripples and disturbance and potentially danger would have been to stop and panic. And I just had to keep going, keep my breath steady, keep going forward, keep calm, keep smooth in the water. And I just went over him and never saw him again. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he's living his best life up there. Well, Alex, I have to tell you a story that is similar Um, I was swimming in a river in Florida, and the river was spring-fed, but it was also swamp-fed. So it was a mixing of the tannic waters that are browned out, you can't see anything, mixed with the clear water, you know, from the springs. And so I had a mask on, and as I was swimming along, I couldn't see anything because I was in the brown water. And then as I swam through a a spring-fed section, there was uh, alligator gar swimming next to me. And alligator gar have needle-sharp teeth, they have big eyes, and they're six, seven feet long. (laughs) And they're right next to me, swimming right along with me, and I never knew they were there. And then, of course, the water gets gets kind of browned out again, and you can't see. And then the next time you pass by a little bit of that fresh water, there they are again. And I, I tell you what, it's an amazing experience when you see something like that. It really can uh, give you a jolt, huh? Exactly, but you... But you can't ever know. But would you would you have not gone on that swim if you'd known? Well, I didn't get out when I did know. Maybe that's the way I could answer that. I thought, wow, yeah. that was amazing to see. I wonder if it'll happen again, you know. But it it kind of makes you, I don't, a little nervous. You hope that they don't try yeah. to put those teeth to good use on you. But feeling a little nervous is sometimes just reminding you how precious your life is. And that's, uh, I can't see how that could ever be a negative thing. Mm, so, yeah. yeah, you, oh, I love it. <laughs> I had the worst time on the swim to Ithaca. I had a crazy experience. There was no, um, there was no kind of monster in the water, but we were, we were swimming and, you know, there's really strong currents in that bit of water and I could see the, the island that we were aiming for and we were passing the side of a tiny island like you know big enough to have a shepherd's hut and not not much more on it so I knew that at some point we would see the underside beneath the water of the island and we're swimming along and we were in sort of four of us in a formation and I could feel that the currents were getting stronger and stronger and then I saw the sort of slope of the bottom part of the island appear beneath me and I was swimming and swimming and swimming and then I realized that the water that what I could see, my view beneath me, was just completely static. It was like I was in a training pool. The current was so strong. And I was swimming at my hardest. I was the fittest I'd been. I'd done, you know, two years of swimming and lessons. And and I was literally going nowhere. It was like an anxiety dream where oh. you're just trying your hardest. And, you, it was, you know, everyone's had kind of a Monday morning like that. And then, again, there was nothing to do but 
keep going because to stop and panic would have just been to be taken back with the currents and to have the previous 45 minutes worth of swimming gone in minutes and I just kept going and kept going and looking at the others and sort of trying to communicate with them while we were swimming it was four of us together and eventually suddenly the current just sort of shifted and it felt like the island was just on a travelator just moving away because I was swimming the same amount of effort and suddenly the island just skidded away from me and it was it was like it felt like such a physical visible manifestation of anxiety that you have when you know one of those days when no one will call you back and you get splashed by a bus by the you know going through a puddle and you're getting nowhere and you're getting nowhere and then suddenly it's okay because you just kept going (laughs) oh there's a good lesson for life right there just keep going (laughs) this too shall pass and then the rewards come later right yeah well, what is it like swimming around the Greek islands in the Mediterranean? Is the water warm? I know it, it can be very clean and beautiful, but... It's really beautiful, but it is so salty. Oh, like really? proper, almost like a vendetta level of salt. Like your eyes, and we had to kind of put Vaseline all around the edges of all of our swimming costumes and all just everywhere that we could really because it's it's abrasive you can almost feel the crystals in the salt it's so so salty um so we would we would we had like a little dinghy going along beside us that had um bottles of mouthwash in it and so much water it made me really you know when you're little and you hear stories about pirates and shipwrecks and stuff and it made me really understand that sort of panic of being surrounded by water but it but it not being thirst quenching (laughs) right you can see how the sea could be a real menace when all you wanted was a glass of water (laughs) how did it feel when you finally reached your goal oh it was amazing and I cried and it just meant so much to me I'd been reading those sort of you know Homer's stories of Greek gods and goddesses all my life and and actually just to even just see Ithaca felt really magical to me the idea that someone could spend 10 years I mean the Odyssey he's literally spending 10 years trying to get home from work <laughs> right and we've all had a journey like that in our time and um it yeah it's it's, it's an extraordinarily beautiful part of the world and it was such a we, I was there in July so it was exceptionally sunny and gorgeous and Always in the, in Homer, the Greek always translates as referring to the sea as wine dark. And I can kind of understand why it does almost look like a kind of like a claret rather than blue. It's so dark sometimes. Mm. It's absolutely gorgeous. Mm. Oh, sounds delightful. Wow. Well, <laughs> this has been so much fun visiting with you about these books and about your pursuit of sports that brought new enthusiasm and meaning to life and i just think it's yeah. wonderful let's uh real quickly talk about these two books running like a girl is the first book second book leap in a woman some waves and the will to swim are both of these available on amazon i assume yes yeah and i think they're both audiobooks as well now too i know i get get a lot of feedback from people who listen to the audio either running or swimming so yeah <laughs> now, is it recorded in your voice or someone else's? Um, the UK one is rec- I recorded of both of them, but I think there is also a US edition, but I don't know if you can get both in the US. I'm not sure. I think I might like your accent better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it would make it fun to listen to. That's very cool. <laughs> so Leap In, this one is coming out in paperback. You said March 8th. Yes. And we're expecting to air this show on March 5th, so it is just like three days away for the listeners. Perfect. Well, Alex, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a delight to hear your stories. I really enjoy your passion for these sports. And uh, thank you also for writing the books so that you can share your story and your passion with others. We appreciate that. Oh, thank you so much for having me and letting me share my stories. Oh, you bet. It's been a joy. Yeah, it's always our pleasure. Our pleasure. So keep swimming, keep running, keep doing the things you love. And for the listeners out there, remember, like I always say, until the next show, make sure that you too get out there 
have some fun. Exactly. <laughs> First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>